All right. Do you guys want to hear a Christmas joke or two? Yes. yes. Please. Okay. All right. You you guys have to answer them though. Okay. They're like riddles. Oh God. <laughs> and disclaimer: I just needed to be on that. I did not make these up. I don't take responsibility for them. I'm gonna so blame you anyway. <laughs> okay. What do snowmen eat for breakfast? Icicles. Reindeer. No. No. Oh my god, or no. <laughs> they eat frosted flakes. <laughs> oh. Yeah. They're not eating reindeer. <laughs> Welcome to Talking Underwater. One water. One podcast. I'm Lauren Del Cello, Managing Editor for Water Quality Products. I'm Katie Johns, Managing Editor of Stormwater Solutions. And I'm Bob Crossan, Senior Managing Editor of Waterways Digest. And in this month's episode of Talking Underwater, we'll touch briefly on the recent passage of the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, also known as the IIJA, which we've been mentioning on the podcast throughout the year and are thrilled to start a discussion on how these new funds may impact different facets of the water sector. However, the bulk of our conversation today will be focused on the state of the industry. The past few years, we've brought in some other expert voices to engage with this conversation. But this year, we're going to speak directly to you, podcast hosts, to listener, regarding what we've been seeing through our individual brand state of the industry surveys and subsequent reports, which dive deep into the wastewater, stormwater, and water quality sectors, respectively, before digging into a discussion on cross-section overlap. And in January, we'll be back with our regular format of news discussion, plus a wonderful guest interview, but we hope you'll enjoy this dialogue today. And with that, here we go for a chat on the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. I'll toss it over to Bob to kick us off there. Absolutely. So before we dive into that discussion on the state of the industry, we wanted to share a little bit about the passage of the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, also known as IIJA. The EPA is also calling this the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law. So these are all the same thing, just so that we're all clear when we're talking about these items. Um, We've been discussing this for quite some time. We've been updating listeners on the progress of the bill throughout the past few episodes. And on November 15th, U.S. President Joe Biden signed it into law. This nearly $1.2 trillion bill includes $550 billion in new spending, of which $55 billion has been allocated to drinking water, wastewater, stormwater, and infrastructure funding. Now, this is an enormous amount of funding. The EPA has noted that this is the single greatest investment in water and wastewater since the Clean Water Act amendments in the 70s. Uh, it is more money than all the past 10 years combined for the industry. It's really enormous. The primary drivers that we know in the industry are the Drinking Water State Revolving Fund and the Clean Water State Revolving Fund. Each of those individually over five years are going to get at least $11.7 billion every single year for the next five years. It increases year over year, but that's the minimum. Uh, headwinds for this do uh, do exist. They include the Buy America provisions. I've noted these in some of our writings and some video interviews earlier this year about how Buy America requires that a certain percentage of the equipment used with this federal funding be created domestically, including the foundries that are producing the iron and steel for those products. So that's a major headwind that the OEMs are working out because 
water is going to be competing with the transportation market on that in addition to all the other infrastructure markets. So the strain on domestically produced iron and steel is going to be very great. Um, so there's going to be some workarounds that will need to occur around that. The other things to note are distribution of the funds to the appropriate parties. So making sure the funding gets to those who need it most. And last but not least, we'll talk about this more in the state of the industry portion, but recruiting and retention are huge issues. And if these OEMs cannot purchase, cannot find the people to build the things that need to be built for these projects. If engineers can't find the people to design them, if utilities can't find the people to operate them, we're going to run into headwinds there as well. So Katie, I know you had some more you wanted to touch on from the stormwater angle. Yeah, thanks, Bob. So in regards to stormwater, there are a few items in the bill that bring funding stormwater's way. So first, the US EPA sewer overflow and stormwater reuse municipal grant program will receive $1.4 billion over the next five years. The stormwater infrastructure technology program will get 25 million to create five stormwater centers of excellence. There will be $50 million allocated for stormwater infrastructure planning, development, and implementation grants. And the EPA will get $5 million per year to complete the Clean Watershed Needs Survey biennially. Additionally, there is some overlap with kind of roads and construction. There's a healthy streets program. There's culvert repairs coming. So stormwater does have some funding hopefully coming the way. And so we'll see how it how it trickles down. Lauren, I know you have some for water quality. Yeah, so just want to touch briefly on how this impacts the, the water quality audience as well, which that's residential and commercial water treatment. So relevant to that readership, it targets lead service line replacement and improving small systems. PFAS are also a really hot issue included with 10 billion earmarked for PFAS remediation efforts. And then specifically the EPA's assistance for small and disadvantaged communities program would provide grants to states to assist in the purchase of point of use or point of entry filters and filtration systems under the act. While a lot of the language of the IIJA is directed at the water sector, sector focused on injecting funds into the municipal sphere, it's definitely likely that the entire water sector will feel ripple effects from this increased federal and national focus on water. So we look forward to tracking that and sharing uh, industry coverage and keeping updated with you. Directly related now, I'm gonna move us over to a discussion of the state of the industry, which of course ties together with all of this quite nicely. Uh, first, I'll start over with WQP, again, to mark clarity on this specific market. The water quality products market covers residential and commercial water quality and filtration. Um, each year, all of our brands conduct state of the industry surveys running through the fall and ending early winter to mark how the industry is performing and look ahead to the new year. So each of us three are going to touch briefly on what we're seeing from our specific markets. Then we're going to go into a discussion of market overlap. So starting with WQP in the 2020 report, the impacts of COVID-19 budget impacts and a shift to digital technologies were highlighted as some of the key takeaways. And in this year's report, finding and retaining talent, market diversification with a focus on sustainability and wellness and supply chain impacts stand out as the top areas of concern. I'll start briefly with market diversification and the impact on consumer trends. The past few years have seen an increase in consumer focus on sustainability and wellness. 
And this year, the WQP editorial team also added air purification as an option to relevant survey questions related to product lineup and business growth. This option was not previously included in the survey and will be interesting to track year over year. Next, I'll move into supply chain, which I'm sure Bob and Katie will be speaking about as well. And we're gonna talk about more in more depth in our overlap discussion. But supply chain was without a doubt one of the hottest topics this year. There's no surprise there. So we're all feeling it across the board. However, this was particularly interesting when compared to previous year survey in 2020, when asked what aspect of your organization has been most severely impacted by the coronavirus, 23% of respondents answered demand, making it the most popular response to that question. Makes a lot of sense as the earlier stages of the pandemic included shelter and place orders and saw an increase in consumer awareness of both wellness and home improvement issues. However, that ripple effect of demand coupled with the freighting issues has led respondents to answer that supply is the most impacted issue in 2021. That's 38% of respondents. And this was followed closely by staffing and scheduling at 25%. Always a popular answer on this survey, a bit higher than usual this year, especially with the recruitment and retention issues. Similarly, when asked what factors have had a negative impact on sales in the past 12 months, 2021 respondents cited COVID-19, material prices, supply and demand, and a lack of skilled workforce at the top issues. In non-pandemic years, factors such as big box stores and internet resales definitely represented a much bigger chunk of that negative impact pie. So that's just a really brief high-level overview of the state of the industry for the WQP market. I'm gonna to toss it over to Bob now to talk about the water and uh, wastewater market in particular. Bob, take it away. Yeah, so definitely some overlaps in terms of trends and whatnot year over year. I wanted to touch briefly on the Water and Waste Digest audience so that you have an understanding of who was responding to the survey. It's primarily municipal water and wastewater treatment folks. We have government and and uh, corporate administrators who are on here. So there's some plant managers, there's some operations folks, some people in technical support, engineering, consulting, and uh, also some OEMs uh, responded to this as well. In terms of demographics, the age range skews to, towards 60 years old or older um, being about 50% of the people who responded to this survey. That has decreased year over year, however, specifically notable the 70 years old or older bracket was 17% in 2020, and this year it was 14.5%. So we saw that that was redistributed through the age ranges. Some of the other ones, I think the 50 to 50, uh, 50 to 59 per, uh, age range also went down a little bit. And we saw that the 35 to 39 age range grew by three points in that bracket. So in other words, what we noted last year was that people were working later in life and weren't retiring quite yet. And that was impacting the younger generations being into falling into positions of authority for purchasing and specifying equipment. We are seeing now that that is starting to trickle down as those people who are 70 years old or older are retiring. Secondly, this d drives directly into the workforce issues that we're seeing Recruiting and retaining are the two keywords that I am constantly hearing from folks. Anecdotally, during the Water and Wastewater Equipment Manu Manufacturers Association meeting earlier in November, I heard from several, almost all of the folks who were there, 
uh, several of those original equipment manufacturers noted that hiring is a major challenge. Open positions are remaining open for a long time. Getting folks to apply is a challenge in its own right. And then even if they do apply, getting them to show up to the interview is already a challenge. And sometimes they don't even show up to the job when they have been offered it and accepted it. So there are some societal things around this regarding the pandemic, work-life balance, and people's understanding of what they feel their worth is so they're looking for certain levels of pay and that was interestingly correlated to some survey results in state of the industry where in our questioning about budget allocations uh about 20 percent said other in there and in, of those people who responded to other half of them said that they were focusing some of their budget on salaries for the coming year so it sounds to me like people are trying to boost up their salary ranges to remain competitive in the marketplace for things we also have some product trends notable that flow pressure and level measurement equipment SCADA and pumps are the top three big things that people are looking to purchase in 2022 and beyond. This makes sense given the smart water technology evolution as we see that growing the top the top three products that people said are not applicable to them at this time are hydrofracturing equipment membranes and interestingly they noted stormwater but I I'm not so keen on that being actually the true answer here. Uh, I think that um, we'll hear from Katie in a, in a second about some of the things that are actually like really important for that industry. Lastly, I wanted to end on optimism for the uh, municipal water and wastewater sector. Of the 145 responses, 70% indicated 2021 was a good, very good or excellent year for their organization. Looking to 2022, those numbers show increased optimism for good while they're remaining in the same ballpark as the 2021 figures, while very good indicated a 10 point swing for the better. So 10 points uh, towards optimism and excellent increased by 2.5 points. Again, 2.5 points toward being optimistic. This is no notably, I wanna note that uh, the bipartisan infrastructure law was not signed at the at the time that we conducted this interview so it's likely that optimism is even higher than what we're seeing in this survey as it was before um, but as we noted the biggest hurdle for this funding is now getting it through the bureaucratic hoops to the utilities that need it most um, and on that i'd like to send it over to katie to talk a little bit about her survey results Thank you, Bob. So like WQP and WWD SWS surveyed our audience, um, the SWS audience is made up of stormwater and erosion control prof professionals that work in municipalities and government systems as engineer consultants, as contractors in service firms and industrial facilities. Um, so a little demographic on who took the survey this year. We had 147 complete responses with the majority of those people working in municipal and government systems. Um, the majority of respondents have been in the industry for more than 30 years. And um, the age skew was that the majority of respondents are in the 50 to 59 year old age range, followed by 60 to 69 and then 70 or older. Um, so just kind of a brief uh, overview of this survey. In short, the majority of respondents this year said that 2021 was average. This does match up with our 2020 survey in which the majority of people anticipated this year to be average. 2020 was also average, but the good news is the majority of people think that 2022 will be a good year. So like Bob was saying, there is optimism and similar to w WD, this all came out before the infrastructure law was signed in. So hopefully that optimism is even higher now as well. Um, 
And of course, we couldn't uh, do the survey without talking about COVID-19 a little bit. So in 2020, we added a few new questions about the pandemic, such as how large of an impact it had, if there was an impact, what area was affected the most, and if companies lost business because of the pandemic. So we asked those again this year to, to compare, and the majority said that COVID only had a minor impact on their business, and the majority said that COVID did not cause them to lose business. So both good things. This is a little bit of a change from 2020 when the majority said the pandemic had a sizable impact on them. Um, and in 2021, we saw that number drop down to insizable to minor as the majority. Um, as far, oh, and then when they did note impact from it, similar to what Lauren and Bob have been saying, staffing, demand, project management, and others were the biggest things. We saw a lot of backlog of projects that couldn't be done in 2020 pushed to 2021, just causing kind of a little bit of a delay in that backlog to continue. As far as trends in the stormwater erosion control market, we asked people to rate the top most important topics in the top five were regulations and compliance, stormwater management and flood control, the economy, staffing, and then infrastructure rehabilitation. Additionally, staffing, regulation, supply chain, and permitting were some of the most popular and common answers when we asked about the greatest challenges companies would meet over the next 24 months. Similarly, regulations, MS4 permitting, erosion control, and funding were the most common answers when we asked which topics will affect businesses and people the most over the next 24 months. And product-wise, sewer and drainage systems, retention, detention, and storage, and erosion control were the top three products and services most commonly being used this year. And pipes, fitting and inspection tools, erosion control, and instrumentation and monitoring services are anticipated to be the most commonly purchased products in the next 24 months. So again, a lot of overlap with the supply chain and demand, like Lauren and Bob were saying, which I think leads perfectly into our, our overlap discussion of how the year went for water as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess supply chain is the best place to start since I think it's kind of the biggest market dominator right now, too. Um, yeah, I heard you both talk about it. I've heard it being spoken about frequently in other facets of the markets that our company as a whole touches in the, uh, the building markets as well. Um, as far as water quality is the market, the supply chain has been a huge detriment. I mean, the demand is there and for businesses having to wait months and months out to be able to get product is a, is a real barrier. So curious to see how you both are seeing that play out from, from more of a municipal sphere as well. Yeah, I guess I'll start. Um, definitely seeing it in our market. I, I mentioned the Buy America stuff. Um, I think that that combined with the supply chain issue is really causing some struggles. Um, for anyone who is doing a lot of the domestic equipment as it as it stands now if you're like a made in usa product um you're not running into the supply chain issues quite so much because the biggest bottleneck appears to be the ports so if you're getting your iron and steel for your pumps and whatnot from out of the country that's more challenging for you than if you are have already tapped into um some some more domestic resources so that's one of the things that i've been hearing from folks mm -hmm. um for sure. But again, I wanted to touch on that Buy America thing. 55% of the products used in these in these projects with this federal funding are going to be need to be domestically produced, including forging of the iron and steel for them. So they 
the OEMs have to verify with their foundries that it is domestically produced iron and steel. It's going to be a really big challenge. I know that Water and Wastewater Equipment Manufacturers Association, or WEMA, is really leading the charge at talking to Congress about this. Historically, when there have been challenges related to this, they have done some, some exceptions. They've been able to work with the Made in America office and with the uh, EPA to create exceptions for this to be like alleviated and allow for these projects to get going even though it's not fully produced domestically. I know there's a lot of arguments as to why you should and should not do that. We should definitely be trying to do things domestically, but I, I am curious. I've heard from several folks, I guess, uh, that even if American Iron and Steel had a huge resurgence, it still likely wouldn't be able to, to meet, meet the demand of the money that is being infused into the industry right now. Right. It's a tremendous amount. I don't know that America alone can handle the foundry demand for iron and steel in the U.S. domestically. So I think that there will need to be some supplementation from external resources there is what I would say. Katie, did you have anything you wanted to add on the supply chain elements? Well, I was just going to say the supply chain issues with stormwater are kind of highlighted or exasperated by the kind of intense weather we had this year. This hurricane season was the third most active. There were 21 named storms this year. The wildfire season was pretty intense. We had the first ever water shortage for Lake Mead declared. So I think all of these extreme weather events that don't seem to be slowing down anytime soon just highlight the need for this infrastructure funding so that we can you know, take the time to build proper infrastructure that can handle and weather these storms, literally no pun intended, but um, <laughs> I just think the, that that kind of goes hand in hand with the supply chain of, of what products we need and, and what um, the topics were. I thought it was so interesting that instrumentation and modeling were predicted to be some of the most important products for stormwater in the next 24 months. And I think that correlates to the weather that we're having too. Yeah, climate was certainly on the list of things that I heard from folks as well. I did talk to to, to Bob Capadonna and Keith Odewortle from Veolia North America, and both of them specifically mentioned climate as being one of the challenges they had to run into. Now, notably, Veolia does create manufactures its own equipment on one side and then has operational stuff where it runs the operations for municipalities. Um, so they have, they feel it from both sides of things, but certainly the increased on that operational side, that increased intensity of storms and just the volume of water that they're dealing with from storms, from those storms, uh, it's been a major challenge. It's something they've had to really adapt to, particularly during a pandemic where that presents this other challenge of like, how do we get, how do we staff around things? What do we do in terms of people testing positive for COVID? What are the policies around these things? That's a whole other can of worms to add on top of these, the, the supply chain issues that we, we were mentioning, but also the operational side of things and the climate issues, um, which is probably a good lead in then to the staffing if we're talking about operations stuff. Lauren, did you want to uh, kick us off with the staffing thing? I think that you, you're probably a good person to start with that. Yeah, for sure. I hear a lot about the issues with staffing and retention, finding new staff. We're in the middle of what's been deemed the quote unquote, great resignation right now. And it is really hitting um, the trades hard for sure. Uh, so 
it's always a popular response on the WQP state of the industry survey, but definitely more so this year. And it's really becoming a question of also how do we how do we find and retain the next generation too? You know, Bob touched on earlier when he was walking through kind of the the demographics of these respondents, how we're seeing this bell curve shift of respondents from increasingly um, less of the senior generations and moving, shifting down towards some of the the, the, the newer, younger generations, so to say. And, and as that occurs, it becomes a question of how do we create an enticing uh, industry and career path. So I think all of us across the board are seeing that that, that shift, that curve kind of gradually start to come around. I'm wondering if it's going to get more rapid in the next five years, and I think we're going to be watching it really closely. But I spoke of it in the trades. How are you guys seeing that happening more on the uh, stormwater and the wastewater side? Katie, I'll let you go first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so from what I've seen from stormwater and what I saw in our say the industry survey, we kind of left a couple, like you guys said, questions open-ended so people could fill in their own answers. And not only was it, you know, staff turnover that was a problem, but for stormwater projects, some of the staffing challenges were the fact that they had to socially distance in the field or people had to quarantine if they were exposed, which could delay projects if you can't have the right people or people even in, in close spaces um, to get those projects done. So those were kind of the two staffing um, issues that seemed to be the most prevalent in the stormwater industry and bob i don't know if that was similar for the wastewater sector but i'll let you go ahead and explain yeah definitely like you said the uh being the, the social distancing in the field especially for when we're talking about things for the water and wastewater industry a lot of it is underground which means confined entry which means you are required to be so close to each other so it does present a lot of challenges on that front and i did hear a lot about that from veolia north america about how they had to deal with that and uh, establishing policies and communicating policies. And um, it's just, it, it is its own, like it's its own topic area entirely. But on the aspect of staffing and whatnot, like I said, I, I heard a lot of these anecdotes from the original equipment manufacturers, the OEMs at, at the WEMA meeting. And wanted to relay another anecdote that I heard about the recruiting side of things where a lot of them are using recruiting offices to try and find their find people to fill in these open positions. The problem that they're running into is that the pool is really small. So mm -hmm. while they may be, have these positions open and there are some folks with the recruiting offices who are providing people that can apply, but it's, gonna, it's the same three to four people over and over and they have already vetted them. They're not appropriate for the position or they hired them and they didn't work out or what have you. So they're running into the same names that they have over time and part of that i think is recognizing this challenge of like again this work-life balance of where do people also want to live a lot of these oems are in more rural areas where the, your pool is automatically going to be a lot smaller and i think that that pre presents this really big dilemma for a lot of these OEMs, even for the operating positions in main, in utilities for for everything, we know that rural utilities are the majority of the utilities in the municipal water and wastewater industry. Most utilities produce water or provide wastewater services for communities of 10,000 people or smaller, and your pool is just going to be smaller there. So I don't really know what the correct answer is 
to entice people to those positions other than providing higher base pay or maybe some better benefits. Um, I think there just have to be some more creative ways to leverage that while also communicating the value of these positions, just how deeply that through line is of you are a direct co correlation to environmental stewardship when you're in the water industry. It is a foundation to environmental stu stewardship, it is a foundation to human life, and it is a foundation to human sanitation. And you can make a difference in every single person in your community's life by getting involved with the industry. And I think that that's something that a lot of engineering firms, a lot of OEMs, and a lot of municipalities are starting to communicate it through their online postings for their positions that we are the gatekeepers to environmental stewardship you get to be on the front line of that why wouldn't you want to be a part of it yeah absolutely and i hear that from my side of the market too you know one of the best ways to get that voice heard is to communicate the value of this work and and how you're able to be a part of protecting the health and wellness of your community and the environment absolutely and i think it's something we hear more and more so We've been on this discussion for about 10 minutes, so I want us to want to zip us to the next <laughs> two points. You know, I'm always the um, the gatekeeper of keeping us on time. So funding regulations and permitting, especially interested to hear Katie's thoughts on this, because I know she mentioned this a really big point. I'll start briefly, you know, from my side, I've been hearing that there's certainly some concern that regulations coming down the pipeline, we don't necessarily have the tools or technology to keep up with. I'll leave it at that. Katie, what do you think? Yeah, so you're right, Lauren, that all over my survey, people were saying, you know, regulations, permitting, funding, those are the, the big three, basically, for stormwater right now. And I think the passage of the infrastructure bill is going to help with some of that. Of course, I know we said the survey was done before the, the bill was finalized and signed, but um, stormwater doesn't often get a lot of funding as as we know, and as a lot of the water industry doesn't. So I think that the main bullet points that the bill has will really help things. And I hope it trickles down to where it needs to. Um, but yeah, those are the, the big three, basically. I mean, I don't have too much to add on it other than because the infrastructure bill passed. So that's, we got to kind of wait and see now. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to note a couple of the things more um, specifically for these these elements here. Um, regulations, I've I'm noted again by America, certainly something of note there. I've talked about it, I think, enough on this podcast episode mm -hmm. already, and we have more resources <laughs> on our website, so you can check those out. Uh, we'll make sure it's in the show notes as well. But um, key regulations to be concerned with for 2022 for water and wastewater utilities are the lead and copper rule revision, um, really focusing on the lead service line replacement programs and the plan to replace those, trying to develop a plan for how you're going to sample for all of your schools and daycares. You need to do 20% every year for the next five years. Um, really critical piece of that puzzle as well. Another thing of note are the impending PFAS regulations. They're yeah. going to happen. It is going to happen in 2022. There will be a framework at some point. There will be a comment period through the EPA, but it's going to happen. Be on the lookout for it. One of the big, big aspects that I'm noting about this is the liability for not only manufacturers of equipment, but also for water and wastewater facilities here. Depending on how the regulations work, if it runs through CERCLA or if it runs through RICRA, it may mean that utilities or OEMs could be held liable for PFAS contamination when they are trying to dispose of 
the, for example, granular activated carbon they're using to remove the PFAS from the water. Um, it could be a huge, huge issue. It's a big sticking point. I know that a lot of associations and leadership in the industry are bringing this to Congress to let them know and bringing it to the EPA to let them know that water and wastewater utilities and OEMs should not be held liable for this. It should go to the original polluter. So something to note there, I think it's a really very nuanced position there, but that regulation on PFAS, it's coming. We're going to be on top of it. So be sure to check our websites for more uh, throughout 2022. Yeah, so PFAS was definitely specifically what I was referring to with my comment that there's a little bit of fear that we might not be ready to keep up from a technological standpoint with what's coming down the pipeline there. Um, oh, yeah. Can I touch on that right quick? The big, so the aspect of that is we're talking parts per trillion. It yep. has only been within the past decade that we've gotten to parts per billion. So measuring parts per trillion is crazy. <laughs> It's absolutely like we're talking about I, I it's like parts per billion is like what one drop in like a, an Olympic sized swimming pool or something like that. And like parts per trillion is like one drop in 10. It's something of that, like something of that enormitude, not exactly that, but something of that enormitude. So we're talking about a very, very finite um, understanding of what is actually in this water. It, it's a real technological challenge, like you're noting. Yeah, but I do want to say, you know, what a time for the different apps assets of the water industry to partner together and team up to create solutions, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. What better time for municipalities to partner with Final Barrier um, mm -hmm. and make those partnerships for public health so we can meet those goals collectively. That's all I'll say on that. Moving us to the last <laughs> point, which we touched on a little bit already, um, inflation of materials and container. We did touch on this a little bit when we were talking about supply chain, but inflation has been a big issue across the board. You know, from my sector, we've been seeing a lot of price increases, particularly for ion exchange and resin, um, difficulties getting shipping containers, exasperating the supply chain issues. Um, I'm sure these are impacting you guys across the board as well. I, I'll note again, I'm just going to call out uh, Bob Capadonna again. I talked to him from Fiolia North America. He specifically mentioned this inflation thing. And he said that what is really interesting about this is it's the first time that a lot of the employees that that have been working in his his marketplace have to have conversations about inflation, that they have to explain what this means and why it's happening and how it's happening. And he said that from his standpoint, where he's really high level in, in this, and he has to communicate this with his sales teams and with his internal teams on like how to talk about this type of thing. For him, that is a big challenge right now of like, how do you adjudicate these things? How do you highlight the inflation elements? How do you explain why things are more expensive here and not necessarily over here? How do you explain how the, vo the volatility of those things too, because sometimes this granular activated carbon is really through the roof. Next thing you know, it's ion exchange. Next thing you know, it's this, mm -hmm. and they go through this ebb and flow. Um, so I really wanted to note that, that Bob Capadonna was really, really specific about how that's a big part portion of what he is looking to do with his employees is how to communicate inflation better to their customers and to uh, the communities at large. And I think another thing that I keep seeing on the state of the industry report that people are saying is there's just so much uncertainty. And so the inflation and in the supply chain, it's it could drive up construction costs. It could drive up the price of projects, which could lead to project demand, which could lead, you know, there's so many what ifs based on 
the supply chain and, and this yeah. manufacturing at some points that it's just making a lot of things really uncertain, which isn't obviously a comfortable place to be for anybody. Um, but I think it's it's that word uncertainty is going to keep coming up a lot across all the sectors, unfortunately. Yeah, it it really stinks that uncertainty is going to be such a huge keyword during a year when we have more funding than ever before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. Yeah. I, so, I will say, I, I feel like we've been a little bit downers on like these big, big specific challenges. But again, like optimism is really high. Like despite all of these things, the optimism we're seeing across all the different industries, even not just not just the water industries and the sectors that we cover, but like Lauren said, we for for our sister publications in in the building markets and the construction markets, like everyone is so optimistic about next year because this bill has finally been signed it is now a law um it's huge it's just really enormous i think that people are really just excited to be up to the task and really excited to as radica fox with epa said let's get to work like yes. let's just do it let's mm -hmm. let's get to work it's yeah. it's now that time the, the money is there we need to get it to the right people and let's get work on the ground yeah I mean, let's end this. I agree with you, Bob. Let's end this discussion on the positivity, right? So, you know, I brought up <laughs> how it's a great time to work across sector. This is a time to be one water and to work as one water. And we're so excited to celebrate that and embrace that with the one water community. Absolutely. Absolutely. Any final thoughts from you guys? Are you ready to rock? I say let's let us let us let us close out. I think that was let's a good rock. way to end it. The optimism <laughs> yeah. is high. We'd like to end on a positive note. <laughs> Um, all right, great. So thanks for the great discussion, guys, on the state of the industry. I think we've got a lot to look forward to, and we look forward to seeing what the new year brings. Um, so on to a little bit of housekeeping as we wrap up today's episode. Mentioned this in the last episode, WQP is now accepting nominations for our Industry Icon Award program. Submit nominations at wqpmag.com backslash nominations by January 1st. Can't wait to see it. I think the other brands are doing some similar projects, so we'll toss it over to Bob now. Yeah, so I want to call out our top project videos again. You can view the entire playlist at bit.ly slash 2021-WWD-TOP-PROJECTS. I will want to note also that our December issue is being delayed due to a paper shortage. We were talking about supply chain issues. Paper is one of them. Uh, it will not start mailing until January. So if you haven't received it yet, that is why it will be in your mailbox. But until then, you can check out the videos that are on our website. So definitely check those out. I also wanted to call attention to our WWD Young Pros program. We are starting our nominations right now. The nominations close in March, but you can nominate today and it's never too early to recognize your rising stars. You can do so at bit.ly slash WWD Young Pros nomination. And similar to WWD and WQP, Stormwater Solutions is looking for both young pros and an industry icon. So nominations are now open at estormwater.com slash nominations and you can submit them until March 1st, but like Bob said, don't delay. <laughs> um, and I think that wraps up our episode for today. So don't forget to like, subscribe, share on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, really anywhere you can get podcasts. You can also always reach us at talkingunderwater at sgcmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TUW Podcast. And of course, happy holidays, happy new year, and we can't wait to see you in 2022. Thanks for listening. Happy, happy holidays, holidays, everyone. Beautiful podcast with friends. <laughs>